I just want to say, uh, Will, Mike, Justin, man, we love you guys. We love these these uh, these minstrels, these musicians. Amen. Would y'all bless them this morning? I, uh, you can just tell they all three love it. I started thinking about it, and I shouldn't do it. If I start talking about it, I'll probably do what I didn't want to do, and that's cry. He'd been playing them drums since he was five, five years old. Love you, buddy. Woo! I remember he couldn't even, uh, in, and I wasn't the pastor of the church, and they didn't stick him up there as just kind of, oh, let's let the little kid play. He was the best drummer we had in our church. And uh, he couldn't even sit on the stand and reach the pedals. And they had, you know, the big crash cymbals. It always hit him. So a visiting preacher would come and think we had an invisible drummer because he couldn't see the drummer. All he could see was the cymbals being hit. And uh, I just love and appreciate each of these guys. You can tell Mike, Will, they, they love what they're doing, and, and it just means a lot to us. So bless them one more time. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you all. So many times you can just easily take what a tremendous gift we have here for granted. And, uh, and, and if you appreciate them too, don't let it just be for me. Hug their necks and grab them sometime. Tell them how much you appreciate them. And uh, just, a, just the worship was just awesome this morning. Amen. And they could just kept on going. I, told, I leaned over to Jill. I said, I don't think they sung three songs. Did that would just sound like two to me. And she said, no, they did three. So. That just shows how it is when you get into it. Well, if you was here last week, we, uh, we talked about, looked at uh, the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter's life. And you remember I, I was talking about that and how that Jesus told him as we went through, he went through that denial of Christ and that struggle. And he told him that Satan had, you know, desired to have him, that he might sift him as sweet, to separate him, in other words, from Christ. And then Jesus warned him about that, and, and he told him that when you return to me, strengthen the brethren. And you remember last week I said, you know, maybe like Peter, hey, why don't you just write, you know, write an epistle or something. You know, that would strengthen the brethren. And so this week I got to thinking about what I said. And so I went back and, and I got to looking at those two letters uh, that bear this great apostle's name, First Peter and Second Peter. Uh, what they call them epistles, just means letters written. Uh, but it wasn't just letters. The, the disciples understood that they were writing about Scripture. They, they were being moved on by the Holy Spirit to write the, the Word of God. And they recognized that. And, and so I want to look primarily this morning at Second uh, Peter. I want to read really the last verse of, of this little short epistle, verse 18 of the uh, third chapter of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. I so appreciate Pastor Adam uh, and uh, Howard and all of them that are sending, always so faithful to try to to get this gospel out through Facebook, and uh, that 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 crowd is picking up every Sunday. Now, if you live locally, uh, get in here because it's uh, is better in here than it is. I know you're sitting there in your underwear watching me, but. It's better in here and uh, to be around the saints of God. And, but we so appreciate them and so appreciate Pastor Johan and all, all of them that work back there. Uh, you notice, you know, the, the screens all went out and uh, wonderful timing. She said it worked right up to the church time it started and then every screen went blank. And, man, they just didn't give up back there. They just kept working on it and they finally got it back going. And Give them a God bless you for doing that. I mean, you, you can't. Whew, you can't do all this without a lot. It takes a lot of folk to be able to do what we do on Sunday morning and the deacons and, and, and all the, the people that are involved in it and the greeters and children's ministry. I just really babysit you guys so the real ministry can happen across the hall with the children's church. And uh, I'm the babysitter for the big kids. Pastor David, Teresa, and them right across the hall got a great children's ministry going on over there in Kingdom Kids and just so much going on, and, and we so appreciate that. Amen. You can tell my heart's kind of full this morning. I got to be careful. <clears throat> I got to be careful. Get focused here. Uh, what book were we in? No. Second Peter three eighteen. Let's read just one verse, and I'll let you be seated. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. But he uses this term, and that's what we're going to use for a title, growing in grace. He said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of what? Of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this word knowledge, in this little short epistle, this little letter, the word knowledge or know or, or a, a, a Greek word that means the same thing was used 16 times. That's an amazing amount in those little short three chapters and um, in, in this epistle. Uh, Peter's first letter, 1 Peter, is really written to suffering Christians in Asia Minor and really five providences. And uh, they were suffering because of Nero's leadership. And, and that's really what his focus is. But Second Peter, he's writing to the same audience, but he's writing to these guys about false doctrine that has moved into the church and false leaders that were uh, perpetuating that false doctrine. And he comes at it real strong to bring uh, uh, that knowledge of the true knowledge, he calls it, uh, the true knowledge. There, there is a false knowledge. You understand that of Christ. There's a false knowledge. And, uh, and there is also a true knowledge. And these were teachers that were proclaiming liberty, uh, but it was a false liberty, a fake liberty. And uh, because true liberty will lead you to, to, to peace. A false liberty will lead you to bondage. Now, some of you guys have been in like I was, you know, kind of, one kind of, but, I, you know, legalism is bondage. Can you just say amen to that? Not trying to be mean, but legalism in other words, us trying to make ourselves holy, to make ourselves righteous, to make ourselves acceptable. Uh, that, that, you can't win at that. You, you always lose at that. And so our righteousness is a gift. Our holiness is gifted to us. And then we live out of that gift. And, uh, and we all want to, you know, to demonstrate more of that righteousness on the inside of us. But it's been gifted to us. You, we are receivers, not achievers. We didn't achieve it by our performance, but we were gifted to it by, that's what grace is, that's why it is grace, it's without merit, without any work on our part, uh, God gifted that to us, so, so uh, but these false teachers were coming in there, and they were proclaiming uh, liberty, but they were actually bringing uh, bondage, verse Second uh, Peter 2.19, let's just read this and while you're standing, it says, while they promised them liberty, notice that, they promised them liberty, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for by whom a person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. So they, they proclaimed freedom, but they didn't lead the people to freedom. They were actually leading them into bondage. And so that's uh, the thing that Peter went after very hard. Father, we, we do love your word. Thank you for the word of God uh, that leads us, the knowledge that comes from your word of your son Jesus, our Lord and Savior that multiplies grace and peace in our lives. And we give you praise, honor, and glory for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, look at somebody real good and right in the eye and tell them you're looking good this morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Say it by faith if you have to. How many knows that the freedom that we're talking about, the liberty, same word, that we're talking about, it, you know, and, and this is Grace Point Church, amen? So guess what we talk about a lot around here? Grace is not a teaching. Grace is not a study. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. So the Lord is uh, our grace. He is grace to us, and, uh, but some people are afraid of grace. Uh, it, it, grace, in other words, it's not that we are free to sin. So if somebody tells you, Hey, man, you know, we got the grace of God now. Come with me and let's go sin, and I'm going to show you how free we really are. Because, you know, all your sin's forgiven. You're totally forgiven. You can sin. It ain't a big deal. Uh, that leads to bondage. Amen. It's not free to sin. Uh, that's a false freedom, but we are free from sin, and that's a big difference. Uh, Titus 2 and 11, we're not going to turn there, but it, it, that's the verse that says that true grace uh, teaches us to say no to sin, to no to ungodliness, no to the, to the lust of the flesh, the things of this world. So if you think that you're being taught grace and it's leading you to sin, you're not setting under real grace because true grace will lead you um, from sin. It'll, it's the power to overcome sin. Uh, you know, the church, I mean, they, they, we love grace when we're on the dirt. You know what I'm saying? When we're down, when we're 
when we have fallen, uh, you know, we love grace. But grace is not something that's utilized just when you, you know, have fallen or messed up or sinned. No, no, grace is the fuel. Let me say it that way, the fuel that we run off of. Um, you understand that, that you're not an old person made over again with a paint job. That's not what salvation did. Uh, God didn't want to work on you, so he killed you off. You died. You were crucified. You and I were crucified when? On, with Christ on the cross. That's what Paul taught so strongly in Romans. So we were crucified with Christ. The Bible says you died, you died, and then you were born again, right? And so you were born again by the Spirit, and, uh, and, and so the same grace the Bible teaches, the same faith whereby you were saved, we are saved by grace through what? Faith. So that same grace, the faith of God that we put our trust in that, that brings salvation to us, then he said, so also live by that. So li listen to me. It's like this. Your car is designed, unless it's a diesel thing. I mean, don't get all, you know, don't, don't try to help me. But your car is made to run off of gasoline, fuel. But you can't put water in it. You can't go, I'm tired of paying, you know, two bucks for a gallon more for gas. I'm going to just fill my, you know, tank up with water and keep on going because water is cheaper. Not bottled water in, but water out of the water hose would be. But do you understand what I'm saying? How many knows you're not going to get very far? Because why? It's not designed to run off of that. You as a new creation, new creature, you are designed by God. You are built and you are meant to run off of grace. Grace is the fuel that you run off of. And so if you try anything else, it's going to lead you into bondage. It's that, that you're designed by God to live by grace put, with faith in him. So if you look in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, uh, he says, Grace and peace be what? Multiplied to who? To you. Now how does that grace and peace be multiplied in you? It, how does it come? In what? In the knowledge of of God, and of Jesus our Lord. So what's going on right now? You're receiving knowledge. Who am I talking about? Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace is being multiplied to you. And so the Apostle Paul, now this is Peter writing here, but the Apostle Paul began every one of his epistles like this. He, he began every one of them by saying, grace and peace to you from God the Father. That's how he began every epistle. Grace and peace. They, they always hook those two together. Grace and peace. Now listen to me. It is only a revelation of God's grace or favor. Same word. It is only when you get a revelation of God's grace, his favor on your life, that will bring peace in your life. And until you get that, until you believe that, you will not have peace in your life. And, and, and listen, true knowledge, true knowledge of Jesus will always Multiply grace and peace in your life. Uh, now listen, when I say peace, I, I'm not talking about an emotion. I, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that you and I will always feel peace. Because that I means knows that just ain't real world stuff, man. Do you just feel peace 24 hours a day? Well, I don't. Let me feel your wings in the parking lot after service, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, no. So I'm not talking about some kind of a feeling or emotion but, but I'm talking about when you are convinced that how God views you, how what salvation accomplished in you, when you see how God loves you, he cares for you, he feels about you, you are totally forgiven. When you know that, then what that does is bring steadfastness, it calls, or peace in your life. And you're not up and down. You're not going, am I okay? Is God angry with me? Did this bad thing happen because, you know, I'm paying for my sin that I did, you know, uh, yesterday? Is this, why this, is this why I didn't get the sale because of what I, you know, when I got mad and cussed that guy out that cut me off, you know. Uh, you know, so am I paying for that? Is God mad with me? I'm, see, you're asking cross questions. You're asking crucifixion questions. And by that, listen to me. If all we have is Jesus being crucified on the cross, we have no gospel, Paul said. We just have a murder of a man. But what makes the gospel the gospel is not the cross by itself, but it is the cross plus burial and resurrection. 
And so Paul said, if there is no resurrection, our, our faith is in vanity, it's vain. So you got to, listen, you got to stop asking cross questions and start asking resurrection questions. And resurrection questions is not about you, it's about Jesus. So you don't have to go around saying, am I okay, is God mad with me? You know, if the rapture happens, am I going to go? You know, I mean, all that's ridiculous. But I used to live there. I never was sure that if the rapture happened, I would go. I just hoped I would. I was always tempted in my early, you know, so-called faith to just give up and just go back into the world because I didn't think I was going to make it no way. I always had this voice saying, you're not going to make it no way. I mean, you might as well go ahead because you ain't going to make it no way. And, and, and if you ain't going to make it no way, it's a shame to give up all the fun you could have doing sin, man. Y'all know there's pleasure in sin. That's why you like to do it. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but it's just for a moment. It doesn't last. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy. So are you experiencing grace and peace in your life? I mean, for real. And if you're not, I'm not here to be Jeff. I'm here to tell you what the Bible said is the solution to it. It's knowledge of the Lord Jesus that will multiply grace and peace in your life. It won't add it. It sure won't subtract it. It will multiply it. So look in verse 3. 2 Peter 1 and 3 says, As his what kind of power? Y'all know God's divine, right? Divinity. This word's going to come again in the next verse. But as his divine power. Whose power is it? Has. Is that past or present or future? Has. It's past tense. Am I going too fast? As his divine power has, past tense, given to us all, how many things? Things, all things that do what? That pertain to life and godliness. Now, how do you get godliness? Can you achieve godliness? No. But you can receive godliness. What is, where does godliness come from? Uh, God, the answer is in the word. So godliness doesn't come from you, it comes from God. So how are you made godly? By God, gifting his godliness to you. Godliness is from God. So, so he says that we have when you've been born again, you have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness through, how's it come though? Through the knowledge of who? Of him who called us by glory and power or virtue. So, so divine power has been given. All right, now listen to me. Listen to me. I know some of you know this, but as Peter says in this letter, it is my responsibility to stir up your remembrance that you know these things. Because there's some other voices that's always telling you the opposite of what I'm telling you today. All right, listen. There's two conflicting ideas going on in your head right now. And especially when you hear this for the first time. There's two conflicting ideas. One is we have everything. We've, we have everything we need. All right, that's one idea. The second idea is we need more. Now, I don't know about your, your experience in the church, but my experience within the church was based on we need more. More of you, God. More of you, less of me. Remember that? More of you. Oh, Lord, if we just had more of you, Lord, we need you. Lord, we want you to come down in this assembly. Please, Lord, come and visit us. Come and be in our service. Please help us, Lord. Please come and send your power and pour out your blessings and give us your spirit. Anybody ever heard prayers like that? They're going on right now while I'm preaching in churches all over Balausi. People are begging for more. Now, between those two thoughts, I wonder which of those thoughts produces peace. Think about it. We have everything we need. It's been gifted to us, or we need more. Which of those two thoughts brings peace? It's not a hard trick question. If Listen, 
you're not at peace if you don't have enough. If you got guests coming over to eat dinner with you and, and you're having chicken dinner and you don't have enough chicken to go around, you're not at peace. Why? Because you don't have enough. Ladies, I always want to make sure we have enough for everybody, more than enough. You want to be like your dad, the God of more than enough. He's not El Chipo, he's El Shaddai. He's not the God of just enough, not enough, ain't enough. He's the God of more than enough. That's his nature. That's why when he feeds people fish, they have to take up the leftovers with basketfuls because they had more than enough. That's his nature. He's demonstrating that this is how I am. So I was raised on more God. Lord, we just need more of you. Lord, I need more forgiveness. I, I, I need more love for my fellow man. Just give me more love. Lord, give me more peace. Lord, I, I just more of you, more of you, more, Lord, more. And you, we'd stand in churches for hours. We would fast for more. We would drape ourselves on the altar and beg God for more. And listen, the, the, I, the problem with that is it goes against so many scriptures. Now, the Bible says when you've been given Christ, you've been given the fullness of God. You know what full means, right? You've been given the fullness, not the halfness of God. So if you've been given the fullness, you don't need more because you're full. If your glass is full, you, you don't need to pour any more because it's already full, right? So... We, <laughs> I know some of you know that. And I know it tears up, man, because we like busy work. We like to look busy. But listen, when you pray to God for more, what you're telling him is he didn't give you enough. Now, if you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness, how, are, how have you been given everything? Well, let me ask you this. Who were you given? A son has been given. Is Christ everything? I said, is Jesus everything? Where is Jesus? You said he's in you. Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. So Christ is in you. Is Jesus everything? Where is Jesus? Then you have everything. If I was Pentecostal, I'd have run right then. If Christ is everything and you've been given Christ, why are you acting like, believing like that you don't have everything and that there's something else that God needs to give you? He has given you everything when he gave you his son. He has nothing else to give you to add to what he's already given you. He has given you everything. You've got everything that you need for life and godliness. You've got everything that you'll ever need living on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit. You don't need anything else, but you've been given everything that you'll ever need and if you would believe that you would live differently it would shorten your prayer times you, you don't need see listen the, the real problem is when you ask God to send down more you know like heavenly UPS delivery and then you don't get it God will never answer the prayer for more to answer it would be to deny himself and to say, my son was not enough. i got to send you something else. And then when he don't send it, because he's already sent it, then you perceive that he didn't answer your prayer, so there must be something wrong with you. And you take your eyes off of Jesus, and you put your eyes on yourself, and then you start measuring yourself by yourself, and that's religion. And you're miserable. And you say, there must be something wrong with me. I must have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. God's turned his back on me. God don't like me. God don't love me. God's mad with me. And then you live like he is. And you distance yourself from him. You don't want to hang around somebody that's mad with you. You don't want to talk to somebody that's mad with you. So you stop reading his word. You stop coming to church. You stop hanging around him because the, 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 you've been presented a false God. That's what these teachers were doing. That's why Peter was so hard on it, man. 
You're, you're, if, you, if you need more, then you're not, at, you're not at peace. You're not at peace, but you've been given everything. So listen, now some of you right now, you, I, I can feel it. I, 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 hey, well, I feel like I need, yeah. Listen, but where, where does that more come from? God's not going to send packages down with heavenly parachutes and parachute the drop in. You're not in a war zone and need supplies and don't have everything you need, and God needs to send, you know, send the, you know, send cargo planes and drop it off to you. So you draw from where it's been deposited, from within. So you don't have to get God to send it from heaven. We're not waiting on God to do something. See, that's where it gets real busy. Oh Lord, do something. Oh Lord, please pour out your Spirit. You ever read Acts chapter two? It's past. He's already done it. Oh, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah 64, that's good for Isaiah. But God did it. He did rip the heavens and he came down in the form of his son, Jesus. He's already done. It's in the past. Oh, God, give us the mind of Christ. Paul said, you already have it. When did I get it? When you got born again, it was gifted to you. So where do you draw from the mind of Christ? From within. Where is that? In your spirit. It's all been deposited in the gift of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in your born-again spirit. So you draw from that well that's on the inside of you. You draw from there. You don't have to get God to send something to you. You already have it on board. You draw it out from the Spirit. You lean on the Spirit. You, you, you lean on the mind of Christ that's been given to you. You draw from within. It's a totally different way of living the Christian faith. You don't live it from a, 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 a poverty mindset that I don't, I've not been given what I need. What a dirty, dirty trick. There's so many verses that you've been given the fullness of the Godhead body in Christ. Christ is in you. Now look at this next verse, 2 Peter 1, 4. By which... Now, he just said you've been given everything by which, again, have, past tense, been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of what? Of the what kind of nature? See, it's coming up again. The divine nature, having, you've already escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now, now listen to me. Please don't miss this. Your heavenly Father, you are you are so close to God that you actually share in His divine nature. You are you. But Paul said that when you got born again, you you are now one spirit with the Lord. You have been made one with the Lord. How could you ever be out of fellowship? Because your fellowship was a gift. You share in his divine nature. You share in his divinity. You've been gifted that. You've already escaped. You're not trying to escape the corruption. You've already escaped it. How did I escape it? When you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've been given great and precious promises. Great and precious promises. And, and, and you, that's what the word partake means. You're sharing in something. Um, look in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Now, now I want to say something right here. Now here comes Peter. He starts talking about He's talking, he, he has spent those first four verses telling you what's been given to you and it's all in the past. And now he starts showing you the results of that in your life. But also this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, what? Power, virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Now let me tell you how most Christians work these verses. Well, this week, Pastor Earl, I'm going to work on self-control. I'm going to focus on self-control. And then when I, I'm going to work on that this week, and then next week I'm going to work on perseverance. 
And then I'm going to skip over godliness because I don't like that one. And then I'm going to try to be kind to my brother, brotherly kindness. Hey, this is not a smorgasbord. And you don't work on none of this. This is the fruit of the, not fruits, but it's, it's one package deal. It comes into package. It's not fruits of the Spirit, plural. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and so what he's talking about is these things, look in verse 8, for if these things are yours. Now, are these things yours? These things have been gifted to you. For it's the fruit of the Spirit. Same thing that Paul dealt with in Galatians. For if, if these things are yours and abound, listen to this amazing verse, you will, neither be, you, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, here's that same word again, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, for if anybody lacks, if he who lacks these things, the reason he lacks them is because he's short-sighted, even to blindness. And he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. <clears throat> so, what is the number one reason why Christians become barren, not bearing fruit, and ineffective in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? What's the number one reason? Well, I just read it to you according to 2 Peter 1 and 9. It is forgetting that we've been cleansed from our old sins. Listen to this. Hang on now. Are you all okay this morning? The word sins here is not a verb. It is a noun. That's very important. Most of you know that. I've preached whole sermons on it, put a whole chapter in my book on it. Sin is a noun. It, primarily, it is not a verb. Christians do not know that. They think sin is something they do. Sin is a thing. An entity. The first person that ever used the word sin was God himself. And when Cain murdered Abel, God is uh, uh, talking to Cain, and he describes sin in the third person as, a, as, a, as an entity. He says, he lieth at the door. He desires to have you. Out of all the books in the New Testament, the word sin appears more in the book of Romans than any other uh, book and only one time in that whole book is the word sin a verb. Every other time, it is a noun. And if you understood that, you would see sin differently, and your, your victory would be so much different. So here in this passage, in the Greek, it is a noun. It is not a verb. So, and when it says, and some people actually have the audacity to try to use this verse to tell you that only your old sins are forgiven, your, your future sins are not forgiven. You just have to hire somebody to make you misunderstand that verse. He's talking about stop thinking the old way, the old life. You've been delivered. Christ is the lamb that took away the sin of the world. And I've told you this over and over. When you got saved, how many of your sins, well, let me put it this way. When Christ died on the cross, how many of your sins were future? All of them. You better pray to God he deals with future sin. Because if not, we're all lost. And we're waiting on the second crucifixion and a second burial and a second resurrection. No. 2,000 years ago he paid for the noun, sin. Took away the power of sin. Him who knew no sin did not become verb sins. He became the noun, sin. And sin was put on the cross and the judgment of God come upon him in the form of his flesh. And he bore the penalty of sin and he paid the price for sin and he redeemed us from the power of sin. Amen. Give him praise for that. So, so why do Christians become weak, barren, ineffective? Uh, if you were the devil and you want to keep the church weak and impotent, the enemy only needs to get you to do one thing and that's to focus or to forget that you have been forgiven and made righteous. Uh, that's why it's so important to confess the word of God over ourselves, and especially when we sin. Because, I, I, hey, man, I understand it. 
when you sin, you don't feel very righteous. Um, but you've got to look at yourself in the mirror, and you've got to declare that I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. That was gifted to me, not my performance. Now, I've asked you this before, but let me just say this to you. This is in Romans. But how many sins does a Christian have to commit? In other words, how many sins do you have to, not Christian, how many sins did you have to commit to be, become a sinner? None. Everybody knows the answer to that question now, right? It's none. Normally, if I ever ask it to a congregation that didn't know that, they, everybody tells me one. They say one. In other words, they think that once they commit one sin, then now they are a sinner because they committed one sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that by one man's disobedience, who was that one man he's talking about? Adam. So by that one Adam's disobedience, it says many were made born sinners. So how did you get to be a sinner? You, you got it by birth, right? So how many sins did it take for you to be a sinner? None. How did you get to be a sinner? By birth. You got that one? Okay, let's see if you'll do this one. How many righteous deeds do you have to do to be declared righteous? How many? None. You mean you can be declared righteous by not doing any righteous deeds? So how does that righteousness come? By birth. By being born again. You got to be a sinner by natural birth from Adam. But you got to be declared righteous by putting your faith in Jesus when you got born again by the last Adam and that righteousness was gifted to you before you ever did anything righteous or unrighteous. It was a gift. Do you understand? So you have to take, that's why him who knew no sin became sin so that we would become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. So if you, if you get the first part down and you know that you're a sinner by birth, then you know that you're righteous by being born again, by birth. Amen? And that's what makes the gospel good. So where did I start getting righteous? Because I do a lot of nice deeds? No. Do I believe in doing nice deeds? Yes. Put me down for that. Yes. But my righteousness does not come from my performance. And so since I am righteous and I believe I'm righteous, and I know I'm righteous, then I start thinking righteously because as a man thinks, so is he. And, and, and the grace of God does not make you want to sin. The grace of God makes you want to live your true identity, which is righteous. When you buy a computer, it has default settings, right? I know you don't want me to use computer analogy, but hey, got to. There, there's defaults, and you have to go into the system to change default settings. Does that make sense? Your phone, same way, right? And uh, when you got born again, your default setting as a new creation is not sin. That's why you don't feel good when you do it because it's going against your nature. Some, you're, some people are talking, well, you just have a nature to sin. You have a sin nature. I just read that that's not true. You are now been a partaker of God's divine nature. You do not have a sin nature. You might have a sin habit. Some of you sin so long you don't got a habit of sinning. You got a habit of cussing people out when they make me. You got a habit of flipping people off if they bother you in driving. It's a habit. That's why they sell those little, they used to, those little squeeze dolls you're supposed to put on your dash. And then when people make you mad, you're supposed to reach up and grab that doll and just squeeze it like that. Because you got a habit. But it's not your default setting. You know, really, sin is not any human's default setting, not in their or, the, the original design. For you were made in God's image and His likeness. That's why lie detector machines work. For You can take a sane or a center. You can hook them up to a lie detector machine. And all that is is measuring your, your breathing, your pulse rate, and your perspiration. That's it. It's not complicated. And you say, where were you at last night or whatever? <laughs> and you go, I was at home, you know. And then all of a sudden, here goes your pulse. And here it goes. Why? Your, listen, your human body is reacting to sin. 
Now, I know you think about some study that somebody did, you can be like an FBI guy and beat the machine. No. I mean, I, 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 you know, I ain't talking about, you know, that right now. It's just not your nature. So don't ever buy that lie. Well, I just have a sin nature, Brother Dale. It's just my nature to sin. No, it's not your nature to sin. Not if you've been born again. You've been gifted God's divine nature, and now you share in that. And so you just have to learn to draw from within and live out of that revelation. Amen? Now, um, where did I leave off? Anybody know? Uh, verse what? Nine? For, yes, right. For he who lacks this is short-sighted. Now look in verse 12. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things that, through the, the, that you may know and are established in this present truth. That's what's going on here. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent, this body he's talking about, to stir you up by reminding you. We need to hear this message that you're righteous, you're forgiven hundreds of times in, in hundreds of ways. Knowing that shortly I must put off the tent, Peter saying that I'm going to die, just as the Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we, do not, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter said, this is not third person handed down. I was there, he's saying. I was there. For he received from God the Father honor and glory with such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now of all the things that Peter could have quoted, why quote this one? Because Peter was there, he heard it, and this is the testimony that this man, Jesus, is the son of the living God. And he was the first apostle to recognize him as such. And he said, we heard this voice which came from heaven. And when we were with him on the holy mountain, on the Mount of Transfiguration, we heard this voice. We heard God say, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And so we have the prophetic word confirm, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place. Now listen to this poetic language. This guy's a rough fisherman, but man, he can, he can get it on when he needs to. Listen to what he says. And he said, the, the, the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Man, that's good. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They knew they were writing Scripture. And to prove that to you, look in chapter 3, verse 14. We're almost done. Chapter 3 verse 14 of 2 Peter. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in what? In peace, without spot and blameless. Does that mean you got to try to get out all the spots? and be? No, no, he, he's gifted it to you. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, now he's going to pay Paul a compliment, according to the wisdom given to him as written to you. As also in all his epistles, he's talking about Paul's epistles, Paul's writings. Now listen, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Now here is the apostle that walked with Jesus, Peter, saying, I've read Paul's letters and some of the stuff that he wrote is hard for me to understand. Does that give anybody besides me hope in this room when I read the Bible? So if the Apostle Peter didn't understand everything Paul wrote, then that makes me feel pretty good when I get confused reading some of the stuff he wrote. Okay? Peter admits, man, he said, that guy got some revelation, he wrote some stuff, and it's hard for me to understand it all. It's just hard to understand which untaught and unstable people, what do they do with it? They twist the word to their own destruction as they do also, listen to this, the rest of the what? And notice it's a capital S. So Peter is writing, and he says that we know these epistles that we are writing and that Paul's writing are scriptures. They knew they were writing the Bible. So you don't have to worry about all this other stuff, the Da Vinci Code or the lost books of the New Testament or another book. Of Jesus. 
I'm having enough trouble with this one. Thank you very much. Get off my porch. Stop waking me up on Saturday morning early. <laughs> I don't need another testament. I'm having all the trouble I need with this one right here. Thank you very much. And I mean that just in reality. You don't understand everything. This is not salvation by understanding. This is salvation by faith in a person, and his name's Jesus. That's what it is. But, we want, but that knowledge is important because when we see how God sees us, it brings peace. When we get a revelation of grace, it gives us peace. We know God's going to be the same always. He's always going to be. He's never going to be angry with us. He's never going to discard us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. It, it, it says that they twist to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Some people try to use some of Peter's writings. We might even talk about that Sunday and to try to you know, say that Peter was saying you could lose your salvation. He was never saying anything. He, you know what he was saying? You can lose your contentment. You can lose your peace. You can lose that steadfastness because you start getting your eyes on yourself and your performance instead of Jesus and what he did at the cross. And you let these false teachers come in there and try to proclaim liberty. I've seen people, man, that come out of legalism, and they get a hold of the grace message. And the New Testament even uses this phrase one time, they abuse the grace of God. In other words, they say, you know, man, it don't matter no more. We can sin like crazy. Well, that's dumb as dirt. I mean, that's just, that's just a spirit of stupid. I told you it's like this. Our relationship with Jesus is through covenant, through his blood, right? So it'd be like this, and I know I've used it before, but that's the best example I can get you to see. But when a, when a man and a woman enter into a covenant of marriage, okay, they say things like, you know, for better, for worse, rich or poor, never leave you, never forsake you, you know. And they say the only thing that will separate us is death do us part. Is that right? In general, that's what people say. In general, they don't mean it, but that's what they say. They, I, I should, you can't do this because it wouldn't make for a pretty wedding, but I would like to just have vows one time, you know, when I'm sitting with a couple and go, now listen here, we, you know, now it says here in the vows you've chosen, you know, I will never leave, never forsake you till death do us part. Is that right? Is that what you believe? Okay, so let me ask you this. If, this, if, if one of you steps out on the other one, or, you know, you, you, so you're going to forgive and go on then? Well, no. Okay, well, let's put that in the vows, and I'll read it out public loud, you know, and so unless you cheat on me, then I'm going to divorce you, but immediately. Let's put that in the vow so everybody knows that up front. In that covenant, when a couple stands there in their, you know, early life, and they make that promise, covenant, with one another and before God, you got to see that they're saying, because they've been around humans before, and probably, my guess would be, even though they're getting married, they probably had a fuss or two before then. And I prophesy they'll have some after then. But listen, but what they're saying, I know, Pastor Adam, stay in the light. I got you, bro. What they are, what, what they are saying, what they're saying is that I futurely forgive you of, of all the sins that you will commit against me. And because I know you and you're a human and you will sin against me and you will hurt my feelings and do things, but I, by making this covenant with you, I agree that I'm going to, I'm going, I've already in future forgiven you. That's really what you're saying at marriage, right? You never married anybody you think wasn't going to ever sin against you, right? I mean, you knew they was going to do something. They'd already done stuff that aggravated you before you married them, right? So somebody watches the wedding, and they hear those covenant promises. And so the, the buddy of the bridegroom comes up after the wedding, man, high five, dude. Now that you're married, you can sleep with as many women as you want to. Because she just told you, man, she's going to be with you. only thing to separate y'all is death. And until you die, brother, you can hit the street. You can sleep with as many women as you want to. Now, how many would think that's pretty stupid? That's exactly 
what these Christians are doing that say to me, if you preach that grace message and if you tell people they're totally forgiven, totally loved by God, even sins they hadn't committed, they've already been forgiven of them, then it's going to cause them to sin like crazy. That's like saying because you made a covenant vow with your wife, and like, then that it's, it's going to cause the bridegroom to go out and sin like crazy. That's stupid. It is the love and commitment of that covenant relationship with that wife that makes that person not want to go out and do that, but live out of the reality of the covenant that they have on the inside of them. So they end up sending less, not sending, sending more. And I always get that. Oh, they're just people. Oh, you got to be careful with that. If you tell people they're totally forgiven, they'll just go out and sin like crazy. Got to give them license to sin. Anybody ever check your license when you sin? Hey, wait, hey, sin, let me see your license. Stupid. No, no, it makes you live out of that revelation. And so he says this that in verse 17, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, your contentment, being led astray with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace. We're right back where we, we're ending where we started. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now listen. <clears throat> Church is important. The Bible is important. You're important. God's important. But you have to take the personal responsibility to grow in grace. So if you don't fellowship with believers, you don't read the word of God to get that knowledge about Jesus. The book is about Jesus, right? The whole book is about Jesus. If you read the Bible and you get anything out of the Bible other than Jesus, you have misread the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus. It's about a person. It is not history. It contains it, but it's not about that. It is about a person. And if, the, if reading the Bible leads you to anything other than an encounter with this person, then you have missed the message of the Word of God, which is to lead you to a person. Jesus told them in John 5, the scribes and Pharisees, they said, listen, he said, you guys... You're so religious. You fast twice a week. You do all these big prayers and you wear the right clothes and you say the right things and and you make long prayers in the marketplace. But he said, listen to me. You search the scriptures for in them, the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. But he said, you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. He said, these scriptures that you're reading, they testify of me. They speak of me. And if you read the scriptures, they'll lead you to me. How did the people in the Bible that didn't have the Bible make it? Do you realize nobody in the Bible had a Bible? New Testament Christians did not have a New Testament. Nobody could go home and read the Bible. Nobody could go home and turn on Christian television. Nobody could do that. Yet, how did they make it? Because they had the, the person living on the. I'm not devaluing the privilege, the awesome grace and gift of the written word of God. It is so awesome. It's written by 40 different authors from, from over five different continents over hundreds of years, periods of time, and it fits together like a glove. And if men could disprove this reality, they would have done it a long time ago. But everybody who has truly approached the word to disprove his power, has always been empowered by it and surrendered their life to that Lord and Savior they tried to discredit. Amen? Because it's not just a book of words. It's, it's living. You don't read the Bible as much as it reads you. <laughs> it, 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 it's a person. And that's what makes it so wonderful. So this great apostle that had big-time failure, you know, when Jesus said, and when you return to me, strengthen the brethren, did anybody just get strength from this apostle who denied Christ, who failed publicly and miserably, but yet got restored in his confidence back in the love of that Savior who fed him fish and breakfast on that shoreside of Galilee that morning and restored him from where he had denied him? Did that apostle just strengthen the brethren? He sure did. He just did through that epistle. And you know, he's doing it every day. He's strengthening us. When I read his epistles, I'm strengthened by it. Now, a lot of people try to put the apostle Peter and Paul at odds. Peter just said, man, he wrote some stuff that's hard for me to understand. But they're not at odds. And Peter never taught nor believed that you could lose your salvation. If anything, he's telling you it's all been already given to you. You got everything you need. 
because you've got everything because you've got Jesus. And when you believe that, guys, you get up in the morning differently. Man, this world is real, and I understand it. And <laughs> this ain't heaven. Lord Jesus, this ain't heaven. You know, all the things you have to deal with in daily life. But this is not some kind of fairy tale gospel that doesn't work in your daily life. It's there. That's the fuel that you run off of. It's the power, the virtue, and, 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 and it's been gifted to you. And you walk out of that. And, and when you feel like, uh, and it's a feeling, but when you feel like I need more, don't pray up there. God's not going to answer that anyway. He's already given you everything. I know, I know sometimes we, we feel like we need something else, don't we? We do. Sometimes we do. We feel like we've been shortchanged, but it's already in there because the Bible says it is. You've been given the fullness, and you draw from within. It's what Paul called living by the Spirit, living by the Spirit. It's just centering yourself back in the Spirit and just saying, knowing that God's gifted in everything. I'm not going to spend time praying for the mind of Christ. Lord, I, and this is what I do now. I, I, you understand, I used to fast for, for days. My wife, I'd fast and pray and, and beg God for an anointing. Oh, God, please anoint me. And if we had a good service, I would guess that we got to know. If we did, oh, I don't know what happened. Maybe God was mad. No, no, no. It's not like that. Paul said, you've been, you have an anointing from the Holy One. When did you get it? Everybody in here is anointed. You got it when you got born again. So this is my prayers now on Sunday morning. Father, I thank you that I'm anointed and that you've gifted me that anointing. And Lord, I pray that I would yield to that anointed one that's on the inside of me today before your people. When I go to work in the morning, I say, Father, I thank you that today I'm going out and I thank you that I have your favor and grace on my life in full measure. Lord, I praise you for that. I only ask you, Father, today that you would grant favor with these people that I'll meet today. Give me favor. I've got favor with God. Now give me favor with man that this favor may influence their life and I may be able to be used by you. Thank you for that grace on my life, Father. I don't never leave the house like a victim or like, I've, not, like I'm not going to make it or, or, you know, or God's not going to be with me or God's not going to help me. No, he's there with me. He's for me. He's in me. He's got me. And so what does that do? It multiplies grace and peace in my life. You ever had bad days? Yeah, what, what the world calls bad days, I sure do. You ever had a bad week? Yeah, I've had some bad weeks. You ain't never really had a bad year. I know as you just smear it all together, you go, that's a bad year. 2018 for me, I, you know, if I'm not careful, I can look back and go, man, that whole year was just a year from hell. Open heart surgery, all kind of problems, for, you know. No, not really. There's a lot of wonderful days in there. It's your perspective of that year. It's how you see that year. I want you to stand with me. Again, I'm going to go for something. How many knows what next Thursday is on the Gregorian calendar? Do I have the right day? Is that the right day? I mean Thursday, I mean. So what day is that? You're welcome, dude. Just reminded you, man, saved you some trouble. Better, better come home with something, bro. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times, man, I don't understand stuff. You know, I, I don't. But this is for real right here. I, I've preached my heart out to you this morning. I love, I, I was leaving the house, man, and I, I, was, I just said to myself, man, I love preaching this stuff here. This is the best thing. I love talking about this more than anything I ever talk about. I'm talking about Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. I love it. Last night, I know this was where, you know, gets weird <laughs> for some, I guess. God speaks to me, I believe, in, in, in different ways. And you see that fairly often here. And yet it comes with just such mystery. I don't understand everything. And I'm just dumb enough to go after it. But I, I, this is going to be so weird how God has to communicate to me. That kind of gives you insight into my mind, how God has to relate to me. He has to give me pictures. <laughs> oh, but I saw this snowman, you know. Frosty or something. I, mean, I saw this snowman. And just your typical snowman. Didn't have a top hat or anything, by the way. It was just a snowman. But what caught my attention in my dream last night was it had nine smiley mouths. Nine. I counted them. And uh, I've never seen that ever. And so it really was weird looking, you know, as far as that. It wasn't bad looking. It was just a little bit weird to me. And I saw those nine mouths. And then I saw, but they were smiley face, you know, like smiley 
you know, things. And then I saw the heat of the sun, you know, come out and just melt all that to the dirt. And that face and the part that made up the nose and the eyes and those nine mouths were lying in the midst of that water. And I woke up. But I felt the Spirit of the Lord on me. And I've learned to just say, Papa, what is it? What are you saying to me? He said, tomorrow, I don't know. I don't know if it means that you're here in the service. I don't know if it means that you're watching on Facebook or that you will listen to the podcast one day next week or even next year. But I know that God is speaking this to somebody. And what the Lord said, those nine mouths represent nine, those smiley mouths represent nine years of good marriage. But the heat, the pressure of life melted that thing. And there's no smiley faces anymore. And in fact, it ended in divorce after nine years of marriage. And uh, it looks like it's just done, you know, it's over. And God's wanting to minister to people this morning. But there's a special person that needed to know that God knows you were married for nine years. And after nine years, it ended. And it ended miserably. And he really loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you so much. And he is aware and he did not wish any of that pain on you. But you're not a victim. You're a son and daughter. God loves you. Uh, I had the sense that that uh, it's more than just one person, but there's marriages that you just really need to give attention to that knowledge that comes from Jesus so grace and peace can be multiplied. Um, I feel it's so strong. There are also children. In other words, you're a kid and you watched your parents go through a divorce. And... Uh, that not only was very hurtful for you, scary for you, but there's been the enemy tried to use that to attack you. Somehow to imply and to infer that that was your fault, you were part to blame because you heard things being thrown about, words that had your name in it. That too is a lie of the enemy that's been trying to use to bring hurt and pain to you. And your father hates that with everything, so much so that he'd go to the cross to fix it. And I would love this morning with my elders as they come up front with me the opportunity to pray for people that, are, uh, that that fits them in any capacity, in any shape, form. I'm not asking you to identify yourself in any other way, but if what I've just said really has struck a chord in your heart and you would desire prayer, I want you to step out where you are right now and I want you to come up front and allow one of these elders pray with you. God bless you, buddy. There are marriages that, not just because it's Valentine's, I'm like, God, I mean, come on, you know it's Valentine's. Well, there's a lot of things on your mind that's going to take more than roses and chocolate candy to fix this thing. Hear what I'm saying? I'm not demeaning gifts of kindness, but it's going to take more than that. And some of you, even in this congregation, you need to allow God big time into your marriage. Just allow him to work in there. Do what he wants to do. When you were a kid, those hurts, <laughs> it wasn't your fault, man. It wasn't your fault. I could actually now begin calling people because I see it. But the Lord just wants you to know he's here for you. He loves you. And you watched him go through that. Very painful. And the enemy, even in your grown age now, he still brings that up to you. That is so cruel. That is so unlike God. He would never do it. So I'm going to dismiss the church like I always do. But I want you to come up this way if you want prayer. Because there's still more. There's some of you that are grown now that you were those kids and I see that hurt on you when your parents divorced and the enemy's still using against you. 
And I, today I want you to know that, that Jesus has taken the weapon out of his hand, if you'll just believe that. Please believe that. Okay? Man, we love you. I love you in Christ. And uh, Father, we thank you today for these people, what you're doing by the Spirit now. Thank you for marriages, every marriage that's in here, every covenant that's been made. I pray for those marriages, and I pray against the hurts of the enemy attacking uh, because of divorce. And uh, Lord, I pray for that one that had nine years of marriage and then saw it just the heat of adversity just destroy it. I pray, Father, for hope to, to fill their heart because you know, you know them and you're still with them. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Hey, church, we love you. You're dismissed. If you want prayer, please come up here. We're waiting to pray with you. We've got other folks that can join us up praying. If there's more people that need prayer, come on up.